Chronicle chapter 7. I just want to share with you real briefly in this chapter, and then we're going to partake of communion together. But it's such a blessing going through uh, this book right here. And, you know, one of the things that I think we're going to find tonight is really interesting, you know, What's the perfect form of government, you know? And I, and I bet some of you here are thinking, well, it's a democracy or it's a republic or maybe you even have other ideas, you know? We know in the world that we live in, there's dictators and communists and socialists and, you know, so many things. And, and you might even wonder, well, why didn't God put, like, the right form of government in the Bible, right? You know, you look at Israel and in all honesty, you don't really see that in, in, even in Israel. You know, would they had the judges. Was that the perfect form of government? Eventually they would have a theocracy, I mean a monarchy. And, and just basically what, what I find, and we're even going to see it in our study today, is that there is no perfect form of human government. It's just the bottom line. It's not really going to come together until King Jesus comes, man. Until the Lord comes and reigns you know, literally, physically, in Jerusalem, you know, it's only, in, it's only then that we're going to see things come together. Now, we're going to get close to it in 1 Samuel chapter 7. It's the only chapter in the whole book of 1 Samuel where Samuel is really the, the full-on judge. Uh, in chapter 8, we're going to see next time that they start asking for a king. And, uh, and so it doesn't last long as far as the, the book goes but we see that um, there's just no, there's nothing, you know, perfect. I know we're looking to our election. I don't know if you guys are. You know, you're thinking about Mitt Romney. You're thinking about, oh, no, about Barack Obama again. I mean, I mean, you're just like, man, do you guys feel like I do? Like, what's up, man? Where's the, like, the good candidate for presidents? I mean, come on. We got how many people in America, you know, over 300 million people? Come on, can't you come up with one good guy, you know? <laughs> And, and, and then the Lord just reminds us, don't look to the kingdom of men. You know, don't look there. Look higher to the kingdom of God. And the Lord's on the throne, you guys. He really is. But um, we, we learned some lessons tonight uh, about this nation of Israel and how they have been looking to the wrong places to satisfy their heart. And basically what God does is he just calls them back. He says, you know what, you need to come back to me. And I think that for some people here, you know, it's, it's just a big issue. Like you're far away from the Lord and God's just saying, come back to me, you know, even though there's a great distance. And I think for others here, maybe you're not like that far away, but there's still that element of us coming back to this place, to our first love, to right where we need to be with the Lord, just returning to him again and again and again. And so we're going to see some details on that in this chapter. Because look what it says in verse 1. It says, And then the men of Kerjath jerim they came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of the Binadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kerjath jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. Now if you... Remember in 1 Samuel what had happened in chapter 4, the ark was captured by the Philistines. It was then taken into Philistine land for seven months, uh, but then you know, the Lord brought you know, calamity upon the Philistines, and then the ark found itself 
you know, back in Israel. Eventually it goes to this place, Kirjath-Jerim. And, uh, it, you know, it finds itself in the house of Abinadab. It, ha- it finds itself under the care of this guy, Eliezer. And according to our text here, it says it's been there for 20 years. Now, that was at the time of writing. Uh, we know that uh, in all, uh, I put it all together, and according to Second Samuel chapter 6, the ark actually stayed in kirjath Jerem for 100 years. And so this is the Ark of the Covenant. This is the great... Ark of the Covenant. Did you guys ever see that movie, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, from what I understand, I haven't seen them all, but from what I understand, that's what they were searching for, you know, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the icon. It was like our Calvary dove, you know. <laughs> and um, it was supposed to be representative of God's presence, right? And so it was gone for a long time. Now it comes back to Israel, the Ark of the Covenant. And so you would figure that everything's cool now, right? Now we're a happy nation, right? Now everything's just right where it should be, right? But we see it's not right. Because look what happens in verse 2. Again, so it was that the ark remained in Kirjat-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. You see, even though the ark of God had returned to Israel, Israel had not returned to God. And there's a big difference, huge difference. There's a massive difference between, you know, religion and, oh, I'm back in church now, you know, or I'm back in the, with a groove or whatever it is, you know, I'm reading my Bible and praying. But, you know, you can do those things and still not be where you're supposed to be. You see, the ark had gone back to them, but they had not returned to the Lord. And so the thing that's cool about it, though, is that they lamented about it. You know, they came to that place where they finally just, literally in the Hebrew language, this word is only found three times in the Old Testament, and it it means to wail. It means to mourn. You know, and and it's, I, I don't know, when you come to that place in your life where, where just God just breaks you, you know, where you come to the end of yourself, really, truly, totally, you know, you're broken and you're mourning. Maybe it's over your sins or, or you're mourning over just the way that sin itself has done its toll in your life. And, you know, of course, we don't like to get there. It's a hard place to be, you know, um, but when you're there, and you just cry out to God, it's actually a good place to be. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, it says, they shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. You see? I mean, it's not until you're there, you know, and it's not until you're there that God can't, can do a work. You know, and that's why, you know, we try and we go through our religious stuff and you know, I praise God that you guys would have, you know, the conviction to come on a Thursday night in the middle of a week. I know it's not easy, you know, but, but if you come and go and come and go and there's no, you know, that, that passion, the heart, um, then, you know, you got to search deeper, you know. And I was talking to one brother today. I said, you know, going to church, it's cool. I used to have the mentality that said, 
you know, well, I'm going to go to church and it's going to be that one service or that one, you know, whatever it is, retreat, conference, study, men's thing, whatever it is. And that's like that's like the one that changes my life, you know, and and, and maybe it does, you know, maybe that'll happen. Um, but what I found is that when you come to church and you just continue to come seeking the Lord, that that all it does is it really gives you that 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 capacity to carry on and to go deeper into your relationship with God. You know, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. And I think that God gives us that strength that we need. And all I'm saying is that, you know, right here, this is where we need to be. You know, we go deep when we weep, and these tears are real. You know, not all the time are they real, but, you know, this time they were real. And they meant that the people were finally ready to surrender. You know the interesting thing? Look at verse 2. It says, and all the house of Israel lamented. I like that. It was a big, huge work. It was the whole house of Israel. And so what ends up happening is the Lord meets them there. Now think about this, you guys. When was Samuel called? You guys remember? When was Samuel called? Before homeboy was born, right? Before he was born, he was called. God had been preparing him all his life for this point. Right here, when the nation's ready, Samuel had been prepared, everybody's prepared. In verse 3 it says, And then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying this, Listen, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts and put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Basically, Samuel says, if you return with all your hearts, God is going to give you victory over all those enemies, your enemy, the one that's been defeating you. That's based out of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 2, where God promised, if you return, I'll take care of you. And we read that throughout the scriptures in 1 Kings 8.48. It says, And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul. Isaiah 55 verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. Hosea chapter 6, I like this. And this is a really cool one. It says, Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning, and he will come to us, listen to this, like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. You know, when I was uh, yesterday, was it, it rain where you guys were yesterday? You know, don't you hate it when some people complain about the rain? You know, I'm like, what are you complaining about the rain for, man? We need the rain. Where would we be without the rain, you know? And I always thank God. I always tell the Lord, Lord, thank you. We don't deserve it, but thank you for the rain, right? Because I like to wash down my driveway. You know how Mexicans are, right? <laughs> we wash down our driveways. <laughs> I don't know why, but... You know, when it's, we don't get any rain, they say, oh, you can't wash down your driveway anymore. I don't like that, right? So anyways, all I'm trying to say is that, you know, that, like that rain, that's what we need. You know, I think what we think, we're, we're, we're saying, Lord, you know what? I got to perform, and, and yeah, it's true, but all you got to do is come back to God 
with just a, an unopened heart, a surrendered heart. And then he's going to rain down his righteousness, rain down his power, rain down his love, everything that you need. You know, and Samuel just says, if you return, you know, God will give you victory over the Philistines. But there's a few things that you've got to do in returning. Look at verse 3 again. Notice it says, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, he says, and then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you. Okay, and so if let's just say you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, I want to get back with God. You know, I, I want to be right there. I want, I want his power. I want his peace. I want his presence. I want the Lord. You know, I want to return to him. You know, um, what are some of the things that you need to do? Well, one is you have to get rid of things. You have to get rid of things. You know, we have a rule in our house now. If anything comes in, Something's got to go out. <laughs> it's always like that. Why? Because if not, what ends up happening? You become, you become pack rats, right? <laughs> and, uh, and cluttered and hoarders. and It's just a crazy life, right? Simplified life is the best life. But especially those things that are, that are wrong, you know? Um, you have to get rid of things. We're going to see that. And then secondly, you've got to get real. You'll see the word heart in here a couple of times. I'm not talking about your head. God's not talking about your, your intellect and your knowledge and those things. He's talking about your heart. So you've got to get rid of things. You have to get real with God. And then thirdly, you have to get right where you belong. Notice again, he says there in verse 3, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your what? Your hearts for the Lord. And notice, and serve him only. And you might want to circle that word only. Serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Now get rid of those foreign gods. Now, of course, that would be pluralism, right? If you're here and you're, you know, you're still holding on to your Mormonism, or you're still holding on to your Buddhism, or you're still holding on to your Catholicism, uh, of course, you know, that's part of what it is. Get rid of your pluralism. Get rid of all those types of things, right? But I think for those of us here as Calvary Chapelites, right, it's not really the pluralism as much as it is the hedonism, right? The hedonism. And that is those things in our life that just get before the Lord, you know? Um, rather than, you know, and I'll tell you my story. Rather than reading the Bible sometimes, I'll, I'll watch television. Now, you know, uh, this is a personal conviction that I have. You might have the freedom to watch television, you know, like most people in America, like hour after hour after hour. And you know what? That's between you and the Lord, you know. But for me, I don't have that, that, that freedom to do that, to waste so much of God's time. But the television can become an idol. You know, not just watching, you know, shows that have... Uh, you know, that have, you know, cleavage and bad messages that are anti-Christ, but also just shows that are just a waste of time. For me, and I'll tell you this, and I'm probably going to get a lot of guys mad at me, you know, watching too much sports, you know. And, and the Lord, he'll speak to me and he'll say, yeah, you know, now you know, you know, every pitch of that, of that game, you know, are, are, you, are you a better man now? Well, yeah, I saw the way he threw that curveball, you know. And it's like, okay, cool. 
you know, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I like to get with the brothers and maybe we'll watch a game or sometimes I just hang out with my son. So I still, you know, will from time to time. But some guys are there every game, huh? I know some guys that won't even go to church on Sundays because the football season is there, you know? And it's so cool when you come to the Lord and things are different. You know, all I know is that there's things in our life that we have to get rid of. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 5:21, speaking to New Testament Christians, little children, keep yourself from idols. When I got saved, I got rid of all my old music. I got rid, I threw it away. You know, probably thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars. Back then it was eight tracks. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it was cassettes. <laughs> threw it all away, you know. I threw it all away. And every once in a while I have a temptation, you know, to listen to, you know, ACDC, you know. I mean, you hear that ACDC song, and you're like, man, that's such a cool song. You know, you love the guitar, don't you? Or no, is it just me? Maybe it's just me. I was a headbanger, whatever it was. And, I, you know, how am I going to listen to this song that talks about, you know, um, you know, partying in hell as a Christian? You know, all I know is there were certain things that, that I had to get rid of in my life. And I think that we do as well. We have to put off the old man, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.22. And then we have to put on the new man. You know, most of the time in hedonism, it's me. I'm the idol. And so I need to get rid of that idol. I need to die. But other times it's relations. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's a friend, really, that you're putting before the Lord. And the, and the Lord says you have to put away those gods. Um, sometimes it's ambitions that you have that are not of the Lord. And sometimes it's possessions that we have. And so we need to get rid of things. And, and then secondly, we just need to get real with God, you guys. Just get real with God. And you know, the hard part with getting real with God is that it takes the one thing that you and I we probably struggle with the most. And you know what it is for Americans? You guys, does anybody know what it is? What it is, what is it that one thing that we just don't have enough of? No. Eh. Time. Time. Who here has enough time? I mean, gosh. You know, it's like I just don't have time. Sorry, I don't have time, you know, to take a shower today. You know, whatever. I don't have time. <laughs> To floss my teeth, I'll just brush, you know, I don't know. We don't have time, right? But that's the one thing, you know, that, that it's going to take in order for your heart to get right with God. you got to give him the time, you know. And I, and I found that out. Waking up in the morning, you hit the alarm clock, you got, you know, 10 minutes for your devotions, and then you're out the door and you're going to work. I'm telling you this right now, man, that's not enough time for your heart to soften and to melt in God's presence, you know. And to really hear from him, the still small voice, I mean, it probably takes 10, 15 minutes just for, you know, the volume of all the rest of the world to fade away, to begin to fade away, you know. And, and so what I'm saying is that we have to get rid of things and we have to get real with God. And what that means is our hearts have to be penetrated, you know, and that's something that takes time. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 15, 8, these people, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, it's got to be the heart. You know, and all of us here, we all know the right thing to say. And all of us here, 
more than likely, we, we know how to act at church. We all know how to. We know how to honor God with our lips. But that doesn't matter. The question is, is my heart where it needs to be? And that's why Proverbs 23:26, God says, My son, give me your heart. <laughs> and we have to give our heart to the Lord. He talks about the heart, getting rid of things, getting real with God, and getting right where we need to be, right where we belong, where God is. You know, you have to get right, and he's got to be first. Serve the Lord and him only, right? And he's got to be the first. He's got to be the last. He's got to be Alpha and Omega. He's got to be everything to us. You're not going to find satisfaction in your husband. No, you won't. You won't, you know, be satisfied or fulfilled with your wife. Thank God for our children, our friends, our church, everything. But none of those things will make us the people that we need to be. None of those things will satisfy. And if we start looking to those things, we're going to get so frustrated. Or we might even get bitter. Because they will all fail you. Only the Lord will never fail you. Serve the Lord and Him only. And then it's so cool. When you do that, when we begin to do that, then, you know, it's kind of cool the way that life begins to work the way that it's supposed to work, you see? You know, it's not my job to change my wife. It's not my job to change anybody that comes into this church. Because I can't. If I try to get my hands into it, I promise you, I will make it worse. Because I've tried. You know, I've said, oh, I'm going to take this guy over here and he's going to be my little project, you know. And I'm going to mold him into the image of Christ. Next thing you know, he's like the devil, you know. And so <laughs> the Lord told me, you know what, let me do the work. And you, man, you focus on your relationship with God. And, and sometimes he allows me the privilege to be able to talk to people and and do whatever it is, but, you know, I get the, the blessing of being able to teach the word and pray and certain things, and everybody, when we all just do our job faithfully, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work in the lives of the people, you see? So we just need to be right where we need to be. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's telling me, you know, well, how do you, you know, know I, I kind of want to start a church, and, you know, what do you do? And I said, you know what? You just got to stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you whether or not to do. But for all of us here, it doesn't matter what you know is in front of you or what's behind you or where you want to go or what you want to do, the instructions are the same. Stay close to Jesus. You know, as close as you can be. See, we need to get rid of things, get real with God, get right with God, right where we belong. And then we get ready because the Lord's going to do a work. And notice it says right there in verse 3, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines. Maybe you're here tonight and you're on medication. God will conquer the, the Philistines, if I can say that. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you're having trouble with finances. God will conquer the Philistines. He really will. You guys, I'm corny, huh? <laughs> like the rest of the world, maybe you're here and you're seeking worldly pleasures. God will conquer the Thrillistines. <laughs> and maybe you're here and you like food. God will help you with the Millistines. And uh, maybe you're here today and you just don't feel like it. Well, that's the Philistines. You see, God will take care of whatever it is that you're struggling with. Forgive me. 
for that, you guys. Anyways, he just says, you know what? Whatever your problem is, whatever it is, seek me and watch what I do. And so it says in verse 4, And so the children of Israel, they put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. They did it. They didn't just, like last night, go out and say, Oh, that was a great study. And then go out and, and not live it, right? You know, you've got to listen, you've got to learn, and you've got to take it into the living room, right? They lived it. They got rid of it. It's so cool. It took action, man. They put away the Baals. That was the rain god. And the rain god, you know, if we could relate to it, it was provision. Because how are you going to have crops without rain? Provision. They got rid of that god, you know, Baal. And then Ashtoreths was the perversion. Sex. We're a society that's just bombarded with that. Perversion and provisions. God says, listen, get rid of those things. You know, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Did you know that worrying is a sin? Did you know that? Because when you worry, you are disobeying Jesus Christ. God is so honored when you trust him. I pray that you would. You know, I pray that we would put away what we need to put away. And we would do things according to God's will. Take action. You know, we read in verse 6, that Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Notice again there in verse 5, he gathered all Israel to Mizpah. Yeah, I like that gathering. You know, I like that. Like when the Lord's going to do a work and there's that unity, there's that gathering of people. It's so cool. We feed off of each other, don't we? When you get on fire and I'm next to you, then I'll get on fire. When I'm down, you're going to lift me up. You know, when we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we're gathered together. I love that. There was a unity. The Bible says in Hebrews 10:25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as of the manner of some, but exhorting one another as so much the more you see the day approaching. You know, you know, you guys are here on a Thursday night, so more than likely you're good at church attendance, but just in case you're not, you know, you haven't been to church in a while, I want to encourage you to continue to come. I always tell people, man, Jesus went every week. You know, if he went every week, you know, that's the least we can do. But anyways, they gathered together, and it says they drew water. And they poured it out. And what that symbolized was the time that God gave them water in the wilderness. Um, if you read over in John chapter 7, it was the Feast of the Tabernacles, and they did the same thing. They poured out the water. And do you guys remember what happened when they did that? It was at that point in John chapter 7 that Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers, torrents of living water, right? Speaking of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here and you're thirsty, God is here to satisfy you. God is here to quench your thirst. He's so awesome. You know, they were thirsting for the living God, and we see that the Lord was doing a work. They were there gathering. They were there, you know, thirsting. They were there fasting, Fasting. Now, some people believe that more than likely what happened was this was the Day of Atonement. 
which is followed by the day uh, Feast of Tabernacles, because on the Day of Atonement, you would fast. And, you know, if you're really seeking the Lord, you know, I would say that you're probably going to fast. You know, I mean, sometimes I'll talk to married couples or I'll talk to people that are going through some really, really critical situations in their life. And and I ask them, well, have you fasted about this? You know, and and a lot of times they'll say no. And I say, you know what, Uh, not to sound weird again, but when I read my Bible, if you're really serious, you will have times of fasting, you know, where you don't eat food, you know, and believe you me, you know, we can go a couple of days, you know, or a day or something. I, I mean, come on. Come on. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, you know, why is it? Maybe it was one of you. I forgot who it was that told me this. But they said, why is it that when I read my Bible, I'm not hungry for food? And, you know, they told me that. And I didn't think about it. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. You know, you're weird or whatever. So I was kind of thinking, right? But then I, I thought about this and I said, you know what? I'm going to try that. I want to try that. Because um, when I go home, sometimes it will be after a study. You can ask my wife. I'll start looking for the Doritos, right? <laughs> and, um, and then basically what, I, what I'm saying is I start feeding my flesh. Okay, and I'm telling you this, anytime you just, you know, gung-ho, feed your flesh, it's probably not going to be a real good thing. But when you and I, we begin to learn to say no to our flesh, we deny ourselves, and we fast for a meal or two or a day or maybe even more than a day, watch what God will do. But please, don't tell me that you've been seeking the Lord with all your heart if you have not been fasting, please. What he says right here is these were things they were doing. They were confessing. They were confessing their sins, right? We have sinned against the Lord. Not just I messed up. Not just I made a mistake. But we have sinned against God, right? And so they're there and God's doing a good work. Now, whenever God's doing a good work and you're going deeper with the Lord, what do you think the enemy's going to do? He's going to come against you, right? Last night, uh, Bill Buffington gave a good illustration. He was talking about, let's just say you were you know, playing football, okay? Some of you are familiar with that sport. Some of you aren't. But you know, let's just say you know, your opponent, there's a fumble, and he picks up the ball, and he starts going to your end zone for a touchdown. Not his own. To your end zone, okay? Uh, would you try to stop him? No way. You'd say, dude, go, go, you know, faster, right? You wouldn't oppose that. Why? Because, you know, he's doing your work, so to speak. And, 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 you know, when you're not really on fire for the Lord and you're not seeking him, the enemy's not going to mess with you because in one sense you're, you're doing his work already. Why should he want to, you know, mess any of that up? But when you start coming towards, you know, the opposite direction, now the devil will oppose you, right? And, and what we find now is that here they are, they're gathered together, and what ends up happening? Just out of the blue, the Philistines come. It says in verse 7, Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord to the Philistines, they went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, 
that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And so Samuel took a suckling lamb, that would be a nursing lamb, and he offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, notice it was as he was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. So they're there. Everything's going cool. There's this revival. All Israel. Think about that. All Israel. But then the Philistines come against them. You know, and, and, you know, in this juncture in time, you know, they have not had victory over the Philistines. The Philistines, when you study them, they had the iron chariots. They had the weapons. Uh, they had the army. They had the power. And, and at this juncture in time, they had not had victory over them. But what, what ends up happening is the, the, the children of Israel, they tell Samuel, don't stop praying for us. Do not cease to pray for us. And it just blows my mind that that's all they did. That's all he did. He said, just pray. He didn't say, okay, you know, you guys gather together and you just, you know, you, you, from this direction and, hey, you know, we better muster up a strategic situation of the you know, military strategy and weapons or whatever it might be. He just prayed. And it just, just a side note, you know, what, you know, the power of prayer. Let me ask you a question. How was Samuel born? You guys remember? Prayer. That's how he was born. Prayer. And that's how he lived. Prayer. And one of the things you find about Samuel, it's very unique to Samuel, is that he was... A, a powerful intercessor. I mean, we see right here that thunder came down. Thunder came down also in chapter 12 of this book for Samuel. He even said, I'm going to pray right now, and thunder is going to come down. I mean, he was a powerful prayer warrior. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 99, verse 6, it says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name, and they called upon the Lord. And he answered them. I mean, here's Moses, here's Aaron, and then boom, out of the blue, here's Samuel. He was a guy for me as a, as a leader, as a servant leader, who is an example for us of how we need to have this type of prayer life. This type of prayer life. You know, it, it, it gave them the victory. You know, thunder came. The Philistines were confused. The Israelites were then allowed to drive them back and to have that victory. You know, I want to encourage you. It's not just prayer. One thing that you have to understand is this intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. Samuel was praying for them. And if we're here and if we're a leader, well, that's the one thing that we need to do. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting. Let's go over to chapter 12 and in verse 23. This is probably a familiar verse for some of you here. But in chapter 12, verse 23, Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin 
against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. You know, it was so serious for Samuel, and I think, I, I think really for all leaders that if you're not praying, then you're in sin. You're not praying for the people. And so what ends up happening, we see in verse 12 of chapter 6, and then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called his name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means the Lord has helped us. And I like what he says right there. Can you guys say the same thing? So far in your life, God has helped you. Has he ever failed you? Not one time. Never failed you, huh? I mean, you know, he's given us food. He's given us shelter, clothing. He's never failed us. He's got a pretty good track record, huh? Do you think he will ever fail you? No. But set up those stones of memorial. Hudson Taylor, in his different residences, Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China, lived by faith. God did such a great work in his life. He had this, uh, in all his residences, a sign. It said, Ebenezer, which means the Lord has helped us so far, and Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide. God will help us in the future. So the past and the future... They're all taken care of. I like that. That's what the Lord is to us. And so we read in verse 13 that the Philistines were subdued and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. Now that's awesome. God did a great work. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Notice all the days of Samuel. And then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also notice there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Maybe in your life, in your life right now, there's something that belongs to you that's in the enemy's hands. And then when you begin to seek the Lord, God will restore those things to you. Restoration. And he's going to give you a peace. Even with the Amorites. It's amazing what God will do. And so we see that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel and all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. I like that. And then he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to God. I pray, you guys, that we would learn from this chapter. There needs to be a godly realization. You know, Lord, I need to cry, man, because something's wrong. But, Lord, I know if I cry, you see my tears. I want to be broken. There needs to be a godly realization so that there can be a godly restoration, right? And then for Israel, we know that that would lead them to be a godly nation. And that's what I want to be with all my heart. And so, you guys, we're going to close tonight with communion. And I just pray that if you, you know, find yourself in any way, in any way, you know, thirsty tonight. Maybe you're thirsty for a relationship with God for the very first time. 
Maybe you're thirsty for a renewed relationship with God. Even though you've been walking with him for, you know, three years or 13 years, you know, or 37 years. You know, I've been walking with the Lord now since 1989. How many years is that? I can't do the math, but 1989. It's been a while. And, um, yeah, I'm getting old. That's what Andrew said right now. (laughs) All I know is that... uh, I just want more of him. You know, I'm thirsty for God like never before. And so let's partake of communion. And I'm really going to ask you, I'm just going to ask you to really worship God. You know, don't worry about the person next to you, the person behind you or in front of you. You know, Stephen, when he said something very good.